0: Everyone, I'm Susan Harrow, media coach, marketing strategist, author of "Sell Yourself Without Selling Your Soul," published by HarperCollins, and CEO of PRSecrets.com. And today, you are listening to "Awakened Nation" with Brad Salas.
1: A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up, tired of the way things used to be. They are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zales, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Susan, how you doing?
0: Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you, and I love that we're both martial artists.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I'm reading your bio, and I'm sitting here going, you are the most interesting woman in the world.
0: <laughs> I already love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at this, and we have to do a shout out to our mutual friend, Rob Onspock. Uh, Rob is just phenomenal. And, he is. Uh, he's
0: such a hoot, isn't he? He's yes. very we got in kind of a tiff on LinkedIn like I wrote him something and he wrote me something kind of nasty back which I thought was very funny.
1: Was and it nasty or was it sarcastic? It was sarcastic
0: but it was a li- it was a little over the edge. Um yeah. it was starting to go a little mean but I thought I I mean I took it in the right way and I I responded back to him and then we connected and then I was on his podcast and he said us books so i
1: I think you passed the test the rob ansbach test can you handle his sarcasm so uh i'm going to read your your bio really quick because uh our listeners are just going to love you uh and here we go um susan harrow is a media trainer marketing strategist martial artist and author of sell yourself without selling your soul and that's published by harper collins she specializes in working with leaders entrepreneurs and innovators solving the world's most pressing problems. For the past 33 years, she's trained thousands of CEOs, speakers, and authors for TV, radio, panel discussions, podcasts, and print interviews to be highly desirable repeat guests who shine in the media spotlight. Oh, I love that. Um, You may know her as the go-to girl for getting on Oprah, what you might not know about her is that she has a black belt. She has earned her black belt in Aikido and was recruited by the CIA to be a spy. Woo. There you go. <laughs> um, Welcome to the show, Susan.
0: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here to talk with you. And I've listened to so many podcasts and you have a lot of fascinating people on here.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. I specialize in the weirdos, the outliers, uh, the entrepreneurs, people have made it just uh, you were recommended, I believe, uh, by Denise Griffiths uh, for the show. And Denise is a good friend. And I've been on her show probably, I don't know, half a dozen times. (laughs) And uh, she is just something else. Um, She's such a
0: great connector. I mean, I think that's really what it's all about is I, I mean, I love connecting people together and she's like a master connector. I think she's connected me to like 10 people and, and I'm still working on connecting her, but I think that in anything that we do, that that's the people thing. Like um, E.M. Forrester said, just connect. And I really believe that. I really think that that's the, you know, the core of everything. And if we can see the essence or the best in people, like, you know, like in India, they greet you with namaste, like, I yes. see, I see the God in you. And I think it's, I see the best in you. And sometimes you know, that's not so easy, especially in the culture that we're in today, where it's so um, black and white, and there doesn't seem to be as much room for um, discussion and open-mindedness to hear somebody else out.
1: I agree. I'd love to bring that uh, back. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Because... Because, because at the core, we can, we, I think we can get along eventually yeah. Maybe, possibly. Yeah.
1: I think we've lost etiquette is what it is, you know, cause like Denise, she has one of the top ranked podcasts, uh, entitled your partner in success. And whenever I've met somebody through somebody else, whether it's business, a podcast or friendship, I always go back. And thank that person. Even years later, I continue to go back <laughs> and thank people. And that's business 101. Uh, and and I just, you know, I've been in the media as well. You know, I've been in Forbes, I've been on CBS and all this. And I've always found that it's that relationship that got me connected to the right person at the right moment. Uh, do you find that to be true? Because you're you're in the media, you're the person, you're the go-to person to get us on Oprah. Um but what was it? It's the relationships, am I correct?
0: It really is. It's developing those relationships. And sometimes it's not direct, just like with LinkedIn or something. Sometimes it's warm hand to warm hand.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: someone connects you to someone else, but that makes it so much easier because you've already got that commonality. Uh and connection. So I think that, you know, for media, it's two things. It is those connections, but you don't have to have connections. You have to have the right pitch sent to the right person at the right time with the right angle. And you have to have that expertise or gravitas to connect with the audience with what they need to know now.
1: Yeah. And I think authenticity is really a a big deal. Anthony Bourdain actually became famous from sitting down and writing a blog that was pure and raw and honest about the restaurant industry, and that suddenly I think it got picked up by the New York Times, and then it took off. And it's like it's one step after another, um, you know. And it, and it's also a relationship on the guests' part. I, you know, you have to be reaching out and talking and just not be in expectation mode, but always like giving value is. Is I how like I look brought at it. up, not
0: expectation, because I think that it's not tit for tat. It is, it is like, um, you know, and sometimes people are like, what can I get back? But I think it's the non-attachment and the connecting for the joy of it. And if you can help each other now or later, that's fantastic. But sometimes it's um, years later. I mean, there's some people who were in like a learning analyst class of mine or heard me speak actually 30 years ago. And who connect have connected with me now say so like I've never forgotten that you've tossed I always toss these golden kisses into the audience I'm like, you <laughs> give us chocolate that was like it's my signature right and that I would give them something I haven't been able to do that as much with the bigger audiences but I gave them something handmade I actually had. Uh, my business card, I would hand stamp with sealing wax, but, or I would tie up a leaf or something and people save those things. Yeah. But they remember them because they remember the tactile. And I don't know about you, but I love the tactile. I love paper. Yeah. I love just that. And, you know, in the digital age, it's not as easy, but one way to remember, be remembered in the media too, is to send something tactile. Once you've been invited via digitally.
1: Yeah wow, that is a great strategy. I like that. But you're, you're making me <laughs> have a flashback now. I'm a baby boomer and I'm sitting there and I remember getting like a, a Kiss Alive album or an ELO yeah. album. And uh-huh. we would sit in the living room while we put it on... Uh, the record I don't player. Know if your
0: audiences know what albums are
1: yeah albums you know, those <laughs> right? are those giant those round
0: vinyl things, things right well,
1: well they brought them back for a little bit evidently they're trendy and popular oh, they're now totally
0: trending now yeah, yeah.
1: they're totally trending and i remember you know i'm a graphic designer and an artist so i'm looking at every page and reading everything and taking that all in it's very tactile And we've reached this point in society, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this. But people kept asking me, "What what is social media and magazines and all this stuff right now? And where are books going to be in the future?" You know, because I'm sure you represent a lot of authors. But I rep, uh, I hearken it to this: all this stuff we're taking in every day. You know, uh, we're probably taking in what your great grandparents processed in a year. We do in one day. Um, That's nachos. Like you go to the movies, that's nachos, you know, you're just munching on it, looking around and a book is a steak dinner. And so the quality of the value, you know, if I could say, you know, what are we, what are we taking in? Do you, do you agree with that a little bit? Or am I like off the mark?
0: Well, no, I love that you had, I think it's a metaphor is, is, that was a great metaphor. And that's one way to sort of shortcut our understanding. But right now, Media is still the fastest way to grow your business, and if you have a brand, it's really essential to do publicity. If you just have a business, it's not. But if you have a brand and you really want to get that kind of recognition, it is. And part of creating that brand and that business, whether it's a business book, product, service, or cause, is really um, people need to know who you are, what you stand for, and what you what you have to give and what what you have to offer. And so the difference between like a podcast and posting something on Instagram is on Instagram. People have 30 seconds to get to know you in a podcast. They have 30 minutes or longer. So Uh it's a deeper relationship. And with things like podcasts and like TV shows, even though they are only, um, four to six minutes, they can last forever because you put them on your site, you circulate them in your newsletter, you put it up on social media. So traditional media is still very, very strong, even with social media. What social media can do is really get that quick pop out there with TikTok or whatever, it can create a trend, but it's usually short and fast. And if Mm -hmm. you don't, if you're not ready for it, then you can miss it. I heard a guy who had goat cheese and somebody made some recipe, some crazy recipe making goat cheese, and he couldn't figure out why he was sold out. But by the time he got the next shipment, and it was too late, the goat cheese, uh, you know, phase TikTok thing had passed. So the combination is really powerful. But either way, you still want people for if you want to be an author or whatever, you still want people to be on your list. So you still want them to move from social media to your list where you can contact them directly, because now it's much a much longer relationship. We need to have 10, 10 to 20 touches before we'll buy from you because it's so noisy and crowded on the internet. So some of us get that, and people who are quick decision makers can make the decision right, right then and there that, you know, they're gonna buy from you or they believe in you or they they, you know, buy your product. But other people need that slow, um, you know, more foreplay. They need more foreplay before they're yeah. jumping with a relationship. Yeah.
1: Well, it is called romance marketing. So we we're not we're not off base when we say foreplay, you know. And uh, uh, it really is to drive sales nowadays because sometimes people just show up in the media and they talk or something, and it would drive them to maybe their restaurant or book or whatever. But I think it's gotten bigger. And um, I didn't even think about the media. We're talking 25, 30 years ago. Uh, I had this little company in New York City called K Two Design. And we were forming business partnerships and we were hiring our employees. And we, um, for the first two years, my business partner and I, we struggled. Um, And one day he comes walking in and he says, hey, we have to become an internet company. And I spun around and looked at him and said, what the hell's the internet? You know, that's how new it was, 94, 95. And within it, just in a few months, we retooled ourselves to be one of those companies. Then we brought on a sales uh, person. And this was it was almost kismet you know uh, synchronicity whatever you want to call it but advertising age was doing an exposé on the companies that were taking us to the web by doing web development and i don't know what possessed me but we had gotten photos of the the executives me Doug David and another partner that was coming in and instead of sending pictures of our work which everybody else was doing i sent pictures of us you know in an executive pose very casual but hip and cool you know yeah our business took off wow. 425% for five straight years we went public on nasdaq we were featured in the wall street journal crane's exactly. business week you know brand week everything like that and that's when i by accident really discovered the power of media the power uh of you know being able to drive People, clients' interest in your business through media exposure, and that's what you do. You help clients get into the limelight, and I'm a big fan of that.
0: I love, I love that you that you told that story and that it had such a great impact in your business. And you mm-hmm. know, one of the things that you did so fabulously is you didn't do what everybody else was doing. Because I think right now that kind of copycatism is rampant on the net. And so, uh, and people are taking each other's copy and ideas and things like that. But when you start to really think about like, well, what can I do that everyone else isn't doing or whether even if it is a type of image or, or what you're writing. And I think one of the important things is to like your messaging, your key messaging strategy is so important because you can have all the publicity in the world and it won't have the effect that you want. And drive the kind of business and clients and customers you want, unless you're saying the kind of thing that resonates with your audience. And that's what takes a lot of practice because it's a different medium. I was just teaching a workshop and one man who had a very successful multimillion dollar business and um, was very established and was speaking all over the world um, sort of had a moment where he threw up his hands and he said, this is so hard and I can't do this. And I'm like, well, we're trying to do, you know, we're we're trying to take War and Peace and and move it into haiku in an hour, a couple hours of <laughs> the workshop. And you've never done this before. I said, it's like, you know, you're expecting to play Wimbledon and you haven't even played at your local tennis club. You know, you haven't uh, even played a match at your local tennis club said, right. so you have to be patient with yourself because it takes practice role play put you putting yourself in the actual situation that you're going to be in in order to get the feel of that with what we're doing today which is not always broadcast but with TV and video and and all the social media outlets we really have to start to get if you want to, to promote yourself, and it's not to say that you can't promote yourself in uh, print as well, but right. um, but because most of of what's going on is visual, and it's so much faster, and there's so much more content to start to get comfortable in the visual mediums and yeah. get comfortable with yourself, but also get comfortable with your content, and to be able to try it out to see how it lands. Like somebody said, "How do I know what works?" And I said, "You don't know what works until you try it on people." Right. Yeah, you have to try yeah. it on people. Yeah.
1: Well, I also say this to to people, it's like, don't rush it. Okay. Um everybody has
0: to rush it.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. And yeah. and uh, I teach people to stop doing um and and, and um 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 in their vocabulary. <laughs> it's hard to get a person who's long-winded to speak in sound bites. I I have a background. Although I was a C level executive, I also became a stand up comedian years later and did that professionally for I eight years. That.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that's great training, by the way. Oh, it's huge you get Audience feedback, and you you understand timing and pausing and right. how to tell a story quickly to get the audience on board. Right?
1: Oh, it's it's it helped me immensely in so many areas of my life because. My girlfriend is astounded where she'll go. Okay, we have to do this in ten minutes, and I literally can turn around and go. Okay, it's ten minutes. I don't have to look at a watch. I don't have to because you get that three minute set or that ten minute set uh, in comedy. A lot of people don't know this, but there's a light, a a red light that they flash on you to get off the stage. I was, I was never late because I just that sense of timing um, and being able to say things in sound bites. Um, And what I really wanted to say is, you know, don't rush the process because I've been doing this probably for 25 years in the media somewhere. Somebody has called me up or whatever. When I published my first book, you know, it it was, it was literally, I stepped into getting into Forbes and Inc magazine and things like that. But I did my first national television show only two years ago. And I got to tell you, I wasn't ready before that and I'm trained, I'm media trained. I know what to say. I know how to say it, but I didn't feel prepared until two years ago when I finally got the call on um, CGTN America uh, on one of their new shows. And I was just like blown away at, um, at that point I was just super comfortable. And here's, here's the funny part. We can talk about this, but um, I had a talk show in New York city uh, where I was the guest host. And I did that for almost a year, always being on live television. So you would think I would be more comfortable um, just being on TV, but I wasn't. It took all that time to feel relaxed.
0: It's a different I, medium. Yeah, it's a different yeah, medium. And very different. you as the sh- host are controlling the the narrative. Right. And the only narrative that you can control when you're on TV is your own, but you have to manage your time and manage your content And with the personalities that you're dealing with and that's a real skill and that takes a lot of practice and people don't realize how much practice it takes I had one client who actually had already was a New York Times bestselling author and had already done one tour. And he had told me he was on Terry Gross, you know, which every author wants to be on other than when Oprah had her show. But uh, the, uh, you know, Terry Gross, since it's edited, had to keep saying, bringing him back to point. And my goal with him was to not have Terry Gross ever ask him to, you know, wrap it up, wrap it up. And that's (laughs) actually. Happened. So I media trained him. He was a New York Times bestselling author for his tour and he did all the national TV shows and Terry Gross. And I said, Did she did she have to ask you? And he said, No. And I'm like, yes. You know, that book had such great impact because he could tell his stories in a very condensed form to each particular audience because there were different audiences. Sometimes he was on a news show and then there was a news angle. Other times he was talking to audiences um you know of hundreds of audiences which was were, were was different and he had to be able to flex and and I actually media trained him for presentations as well because it's different messaging for each different audience and that's what some people don't understand I was media training also a woman who um, speaks all over the world and is in huge demand and, and works with companies um, that you would all know that names of that are like the top. Companies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she um, and I can't name those just because I don't want her to be identified. For NDA. One, right? I get it. So, right. But um, one of the things that was happening is she was going for VC funding. And she was speaking to different audiences, and she didn't get the funding. This is before she talked to me. And I said, well, what, what were you talking about? She goes, well, she gave the same talk that she would give to an arch- architects, which is one of her audiences. And I said, well, VCs have a totally, venture capitalists have a totally different um, need and perspective. And so we need to shape your narrative to speak directly to them to why should they should give you money and why you're going to be a successful business, but it's a completely different story. And she was just telling the same story to each audience and not modifying it all and not understanding why she wasn't getting those results. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, you know, that's the hardest thing for some people to understand. I coach authors and, you know, business people to become Mm -hmm. keynote speakers. And, uh, you know, that can be, uh, you know, a whole bag of tricks unto itself. But what I found is there's a core message in every speech, okay? And that core message is great, but the rest has to be customized. And getting them to customize that speech can be a little hard. It's like, well, who's your audience? What's the the median income in that audience? Who are you speaking to? Is it insurance executives or is it, you know, you know entrepreneur magazine? And uh, you're so right when you hit the nail on the head with that.
0: You know, I've heard great speakers who took who showed how to take that same story and modify it for each different audience, which I thought was super brilliant. And sometimes it's just the tagline where it's the epiphany that relates to the specific audience, but I've seen that done very effectively with keynote speakers like the people that that you train. So, right. but it is being able to create that story that resonates with your audience so you get the results that you want. That's what we work on very specifically, so it's yeah. It's getting the results that you want and landing. Sometimes it's not a result meaning business, but sometimes it's changing a perspective or opening your mind or, um, getting up people on board to your charity, whatever that is to have those stories that touch the heart. And
1: what's it like to work with you? So if somebody hired you, what is the first thing that they should know about working with you?
0: It's as much working on your, um, Personal development is your professional development. And what I mean by that is that I was just talking to one of my dear friends who's a comedian. And also he works um, for LinkedIn. And we were talking about him and he was going to be media training some of the people at LinkedIn. He's like, Do you have a methodology? And I said, I do. And it's very flexible based on the person. And for thought leadership, I have a seven step methodology that we that we move through, but it's flexible. For what each person needs, so essentially we talk about the most the the kind of impact that you want to make, and that sets the foundation for everything else. And then I listen to the way that someone speaks naturally, and then we start to craft those messages and deal with whatever comes up. Because when you're moving from private to public person, um, all of your um, stuff comes up, and all of your fears come up. Right, so. Yeah. So I've been trained in lots of different um, transformational modalities because I've had all kinds, all kinds of great um, clients. So I have a lot of ways that we're working on your confidence and calm and your energetic level, as well as the technical aspects of how do you handle an interview. So we work on both of those, like, what can you do to build your mental and muscle memory to be calm and relaxed? So people, because that's one of the most important things. So, so you, yeah. mind is free to flow when you're in the flow, um, yep. because cortisol blocks the short-term memory. So there is a lot of practice. So it's practice and then iteration. What did you do? Well, what are we going to keep and what's going to, uh, what do you want to shift for for next time? So there's the the general messaging, the role playing, and then the reviewing of that, and then the actual doing it. Like you're getting booked on a podcast, and then we go, uh, yeah. and, and then that's where people usually tear their hair out, and they go, "I know I practiced this, and oh my god, I didn't do half of it, and and I forgot what I was going to say right." So that's why we want to keep practicing it. So we start easy and then move to the more fevered pitch. Yeah.
1: Well, uh I was a drummer and uh oh, you we were drummer.
0: My gosh, you've had like a gazillion careers and, and well, yeah.
1: Well, I'm the fascinating
0: fifth aspects of your thank
1: life. you. I'm a fifth generation drummer, and so oh, the my. first time I went on stage dates back to the Civil War. My uh great <laughs> great grandfather played drums for the military, for the battlefield, because when there's all that explosion, the drum, the fife and drum gave commands. They were told, you sure. know. Hmm. So um one of the things that I did is the first time I went on stage, I was nine years old and I was petrified. And I mean I froze and I played, but I had practiced enough that I was, you know, I was fine. My mom was playing the piano and singing. So we went out as a duet. That's how we did mom and mom and son. And yeah, it was cute. Uh and uh yeah, everybody had to tossle my hair. I used to hate that, you know, the towhead blonde kid, you know, oh you're so cute. Hard I to resist. 10. Yeah, I was 10. So through the years, I'll tell you what broke my um, you know freezing on stage. Uh, when I started taking stand-up comedy, my my comedy coach gave me a hard time one day. Tim Davis, God bless him. Uh, shout out to Tim. He's a good guy. He's also in my first book. Tim looked at me and goes, you know what your problem is, Brad? I go, what is it? He goes, you suffer from perfection uh, syndrome. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you grew up in a Christian, small town. You have to act a certain way and you have to... Pose a certain way. He goes, We got to break that somehow. And so the eight years of comedy got me to not care <laughs> uh, about a lot of things, but also know that when I'm going to be on television or I'm going to do something, it should be big. It should be uh, bolder. It should be extraordinary. So the first time I went, uh, as I said, going on national TV, we were talking about the nostalgia economy. And I decided, in order to talk about that, to take one of these devices, uh visual devices on television. I took a GAF Viewmaster and I also took a Nintendo 64 controller. And when I showed those on camera, the feedback I got from the producers of the show said, Your segment was so great they want me back on again because I did something unusual and trending. So Let's talk about that a little bit. When you see something in the news, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are listening and interested in this, you have to follow some of those trends really quickly, like the goat cheese story. And if you don't ride that wave quickly, <laughs> you lose that momentum. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. You, I'm sure you guide your clients into, okay, this is trending and this aligns with your book or your talk or whatever your message yeah. is.
0: Yeah. So you did something super great, which is um, TV is a visual medium and you brought props. When when we create a segment and we do create the segment. So when the publicist, so I work with the PR firms and they, pitch and book the clients or the marketing department, or you have an assistant who does that. And once you're booked, I work with clients to craft that segment. Because what we're going to do is we want to have the segment that is great for the the host and great for the audience, but also great for you that gets the business and the results that you want. And part of that is how, what are we going to do in a TV segment in two or four minutes? So visuals, are a great way to shorten the conversation that can show thing and props that can, um, that can really land super quickly. So with um, when I was media training, Debbie Ford, who sadly passed away who was trained with Deepak Chopra and all of that. One of the things that we did when she did her, her last tour was she carried on a gigantic beach ball because <laughs> we're talking about this is what it's like when we carry around all of our dark stuff it's like carrying around this gigantic ball right. with us and so people really get that now could we have could also have um strapped brought in a rock or strapped on a backpack but we were just thinking like she had to travel what would be you know easily cuz you could deflate it right so right. we're And that was when we did things in person, right? So we're looking at what can you do visually? And then what kind of B-roll do you want? What kind of background footage that you can use that's going to tell the story too? The other thing that we're considering is like TV loves points. So like we have three points or five points. And if you do that, you actually get more time because if you've promised five points, you need to be able to move through them. But it's also- it's a great guide for you because if you've got five points and you know what they are, you can guide yourself so you're not going to forget what they are. And if you do, the 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 host is usually going to say, well, number one is, and then they they mention number one and then you just give a little bit of detail about it. So those are some ways that we start to really work with the perception and what do we really want to convey in that time that's going to have people Really want what you have and want you back, which is what you did is like yeah. you want to be an ask you back guest because it was fun, it was lively, it was visual, and it was tactile.
1: Oh, which we you. talked
0: about in the beginning about really needing yeah. tactile things, and even though it's a visual world, it's still the melding of like the tactile and the visual, right?
1: Yeah, well, the road to get there, I have to say, was a 10 year road because when I first started doing keynote speeches. I specialized in all the generational and technology impacts that were changing business. So I get up on stage and I noticed all the executives we were in the back and they'd have their arms crossed like yeah, this generation just needs to be paddled or whatever. And so I hired a coach, uh, Stephen S. Little, who tells this great story called The Milkshake Story. And uh he looks at my first tape and he goes, "You did stand-up comedy, right?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Did that guy show up at that gig?" <laughs> I said, "No, I didn't." <laughs> you know, so I was lecturing. He taught me I was lecturing instead of sharing. So sharing is incredibly important. And then I spoke with someone else and I realized the only way to get across the generational differences and get everybody to shut down and start listening and leaning forward was to hold up those two visual props, a GAF Viewmaster and then a a Nintendo 64 controller. And I said, do you think we think differently from one generation to the next? And everybody would sit there and go, oh, that was the missing piece. So by the time I showed up on television, here it is years later, I knew to bring the props, but here was something I did. And and maybe you can talk about this. I made some quick show notes uh, so that I could have some tactile points to talk about. And then they had me on a second time. And those tactile points, I had a piece of serendipity. We were talking about how the Chinese were limiting how their people were allowed, the children were allowed to use uh, their their gaming stations. They were actually, the government was going to dictate how many hours your your family was allowed to use a gaming mm, station. Wow. And someone had told to me, Uh, What had happened in North Korea, people would smuggle in (laughs) these American movies and the government would shut the power off at a certain time of night and go door to door and inspect. And if you had an American movie, you went to jail. So they found ways to cheat the system. They used digital. Instead, they put it on a thumb drive and would watch it on a thumb drive. So that piece of knowledge came into my head the day before I was on TV and I used it and it, I just feel like we're commandos sometimes you're in a hurry but the message is is just solid Let, let's talk about that a little bit
0: well that was that that's so great because it was news and it was immediate and you could bring it in and part of you know being um current is taking in whatever's going on and being able to integrated in and I and that story, you know, part of that I read in the Kite Runner. So that was a long time ago. I can't remember where that was at, but I think it was Afghanistan, where they would say people smuggled in those movies and they would um the authorities would go window to window oh, to wow. see if they could see them watching it on the TV. So they would try to pull the drapes and watch like the Titanic <laughs> and things that were banned. But they it was the secret thing. So That had happened Uh, in a Kite Runner way long, long time ago. So I guess it was, I didn't know, you know, it, it was a trend in China as well, but that's so, so interesting. And one of the things that I recommend for all of my clients is paying attention to what's going on in the culture today. So I'm always looking for articles. I have a client now who's a psychiatrist and specializing in anxiety and in adolescence. And so now there was something that popped up in the news about, um, schools wanting to actually move into their programs dealing having actual programs dealing with anxiety within the schools. Oh wow. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that maybe that could go nationwide. So we're always looking at that like, well, that's what's topical today. Can you talk about, you know, what would go into those programs and how valuable they are and how can we spread those to other things? So we're always looking at like the news tie-in. It's called news jacking. Right There's always the the term is newsjacking, but we're always looking for what's going on in the culture today that's relevant that ties into your very um very big you know your very uh, abundant expertise so that you can yeah. do because then you can start to become a commentator and there was another thing that I wanted to comment on that you said that I'm now I'm not a hundred percent remembering because it was like so long ago what we were talking about like shaping that segment kind of just being open to what's going on all the time because maybe it is going to pop in at the last second but to you can talk about the same topic over and over again and we're always looking at that and then become a trusted source that's ultimately right. what you want like most a lot of my clients want to become thought leaders right so that's a trusted source that's tapped over and over again yeah. because you've done well and you've proven that you could be of interest to the audience which you did
1: yeah you yes. have to be entertaining That's, that's number one and fact-based. You know, sometimes we're in a zone right now where some things are very controversial if you just talk about traditional values, but um, I will tell you this, I made one big mistake on that first international appearance. And that is this, I did not ask what the B-roll behind me was going to be. And for those of you who don't know what B-roll is, that's a secondary uh, footage, film footage uh, that supports what they're talking about. And then they keep going back to the the main footage, which is you live. And so they had behind me, um, oh, what was it? It was a couple of TV shows that had bombed. And if I had known that those TV shows were behind me, I could have commented as to why they bombed. Oh, and wait. so, yeah. So yeah. when I appeared the next time I made sure I asked. Yeah. And so that really helped because you here's how it was. I'm sitting in a studio remotely with a big monitor behind me showing Las Vegas, but they're broadcasting from Washington, DC. So it's just me alone in the room with a cameraman. And I sit down and I said, okay, where's my range? And I would do this. I go, where's my frame? He goes, stop there. Stop here. That way. I know if I can use my hands, if I'm doing them down here, nobody sees my hands, Mm -hmm. but if I've got to come up to this level, so I always check my width and my height with the cameraman. Mm-hmm. That's number one. And then number two, they put this um, earpiece in your ear, folks, if you haven't done a remote. And then I have my props right in front of me on the desk and I keep reviewing review- my notes. And so it, it it's a very alone segment, but um, here's something uh, I recommend. And you can talk about this too. Whoever the host is going to be, make sure you watch a couple of segments with them because some hosts, they like to throw a question at you that is challenging Some like to beat you up and some, it's just a fluff piece. So you have to know who is interviewing you as well. Am I correct?
0: Absolutely. And, and I just want to also mention about B-roll. If you supply the B-roll, then you know what it is. If they already have B-roll, you absolutely want to know. But if I like to try to control all of that Um, with one of my clients, who's a, who is a doctor, a physician, who's an evangelist for telehealth was going to be on a segment and they asked to provide B-roll. and so. They had photos and things from the clinic that they wanted to use as the B-roll. So if you have that choice to control your B-roll, you absolutely want to. You don't always, but if you start to suggest things that are that were that are really exciting and are really yeah. um, um, you know, and you show them to, then they will choose your B-roll, even if they've sometimes had B-roll ahead of yeah. time. And when you were talking about being like in studio, having something weird in your ear, yeah, it's a very different experience. And that's part of what we want to practice as well. We want to practice like all the ways that you're going to be filmed. Um, And sometimes, you know, and to know what medium, like one of my clients was about to be, it was live and she had her phone set up and then they wanted it to be a laptop. So she didn't have that setup, and it was the last. Oh. Minute. It was like it was like five minutes before. So she got a little discombobulated, right? Like so, it, the segment still went really well, but it's very off-throwing, you know, if that's a word. That that if you're so be. You want to ask those questions ahead of time. If, yeah. if you're in your home studio, is it going to be laptop? Should I do vertical? You want to know all of that so you can be prepared. So these are some technical things that we go over all the time and try to find out even and even if we know what the questions are, what we practice is how to transition to the information that you want the audience to know, no matter what anybody asks. Because yeah, a lot of times they don't ask any of the questions that you...
1: I, I never got a list of questions. Never got a list. Uh, I, you know, you're you're. You know,
0: live. we typically supply the questions because oh, we have that, to control that narrative.
1: That's the best so, part. And
0: so, yeah, and sometimes, Bill, when we're working with producers, it goes back and forth. They're like, maybe that's not the questions that they want to ask, and so right. we tweak it back and forth. So it's pretty close most of the time.
1: Good. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna crack up because you know there's that um, there's that dead moment where you're going live and you hear the previous segment but you're on camera and you don't know you're on camera, I'll show you. I made the worst faces. Like I'm, I'm like, this. you know, I'm, I'm listening. And then, so I've learned to put, um, you know, a smile on my face a little bit more, but um, I, I just, you'll crack up because you know, I'm sitting there not knowing I'm, I'm on, you know, and, uh,
0: always maybe, assume you're on and always, always assume, and assume you're on is right. When you go into the ladies, the men's room, the late, the, day the room, the, you know all gender bathroom make sure that your mic is turned off
1: yeah oh uh no one has ever done that uh like, <laughs> the sound guy came up to me after one of my first gigs and he said hey i uh i lowered your mic
0: thank you
1: thank you here's a hundred dollars uh it was just um yeah it happens So let's shift gears. I need to know uh, two things. First, the CIA came to you and uh, wanted you to work for them. And then we'll go into your martial arts training as well.
0: Part of that I'm not allowed to talk about. So that was one of the first things that the CIA said is you may never discuss this with anyone. So I think I shall. Because I don't, you never know who's listening to any kind of media interview. Let's just say that when I was interviewed by the CIA, I decided that this was not going to be the life for me. And right. They thought differently and were very insistent that, wow. that I work for the CIA. So I think we should just leave it with that. And so there were some tense moments <laughs> about that. Yeah.
1: I have a particular set of skills.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that one of the reasons why they, um, one of the, one in my essay or whatever that I submitted to the CIA, I had been living in Paris for a couple of years. And I said, um, when you learn another language, you really get into the psychology and the mind of another culture and you start thinking in a different way. It's true. And I think that that was something that appealed to them, and I think to transition to martial arts, I think it's the same thing. That that sometimes people who are in martial arts don't translate the training, off, what we call off the mat. But if you can take that training that you're that are is on the mat, which is total focus, total concentration, complete respect, and Um, complete respect for, for not only the sensei or the the teacher, but for all of the other students in every way possible, then you take that off the mat and start to apply that, that patience, that technique, the, I mean, one of the things that my sensei had said, like, if you have a hundred throws and one feels good, you remember that, get it in your body embodiment. And it's the same thing with media, like what you were talking about perfectionism there's no such thing as perfect, right? It's just like, what feels good? What feels right? What do I want to keep? And and that's part of getting the feel, getting the technique is like, what did I just do? You know, and to remember that and to start embody it. And what martial arts taught me is really, and the reason why I wanted to to do martial arts is to help my media training practice because I wanted to be able to share what it means to be an embodied person, not just a talking head, but right. how to get everything in our mental and muscle memory. So our presence is in alignment and is who we are. And people really just get that instantly. And people it's, really do.
1: It's so true. It. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head with that because. Um, you don't know it until you go through it. And so the reason I started taking the martial arts is, A, I've always wanted to take some sort of training. And B, I wanted to um, get a little closer to my nephew. His father wasn't around. So I sort of stepped in as the dad role. So he had just gotten his black belt and I'm sitting on the couch at 45 thinking, you know, I got to do something. And he says, come on. So it truly is. And you nailed it. the The mind, body, spirit part of it becomes oneness and, and it's hard to describe unless you've been through it the body and the mind aren't separate things when you're training like this it all begins to flow which is the basis of Aikido, which is flowing with your opponent's energy and redirecting it <laughs> and so mm-hmm. uh it truly i feel like the martial arts saved my life health-wise mm-hmm. mentally kept me focused my um father um was dying while I was, you know, rising in rank. And so I would go see him. uh, And it really, it kept the pressure off of me. Uh, I was able to release. I was able to, you know, be in balance. Do, do you find that with the keto? Because
0: and it took your mind off of it. Yeah, my sweetie almost died of a staph infection, and he was in um, the hospital for a couple of months. And I was going to practice every night, and it was the time when you know you can't not think of anything else in the moment, or it's very dangerous. You'll yeah. be and you'll be on the mat. So that was really a saving grace, and it was also a saving grace for me. He had to get a lot of MRIs and he was sort of terrified of the whole experience. So I had to stand there with him and hold his hand and stay with him for hours, hours and hours and hours. And I thought part of my martial arts training allowed me to do that. I'm like, Susan, you can endure this. You can't, you can't move. I couldn't move because I needed to be with him. So it was actually standing still for hours and hours to be able to support him and make sure he didn't move. So they wouldn't have to redo the whole thing all over again, because that would be like, you know, it would just be horrendous. So that's part of translating it off the stage, but it's, you know, off the mat to the stage or screen. And it's also, um, you know, being able to take feedback and learn from everyone. So, you know, oftentimes in, in our practice, our sensei would say, um, you learn most from beginners because they don't know where they're, you're supposed where you're supposed to throw them, and they don't know what to do. So if your technique isn't right, they won't go, right? And they yeah, won't. Go. It's true. But also, you know, it's everything. It's it's confronting every fear, which is like media training, and it's it's the consistent practice, and it's the taking your uh, lessons from everywhere and being able to integrate them into whatever your your daily practice is, and it is a daily practice it all is
1: yeah that's fantastic honored to know you Susan oh
0: I've uh, it's been so fun yeah
1: <laughs> I, w- I want to ask you how do we get a hold of you if we need to get a hold of you your website everything could you tell our listening audience about you
0: So our website, my website is, um, our website, I was going to say our website, our shared website is PRsecrets.com, like public relations, secrets with an S.com. And I do actually have um, lots of lots of free things. They're free videos, they're free special reports, one that your audience might like. And that, and actually the people that you train might like this too for keynotes. I have a document, it's called um, PRsecrets.com forward slash SIGPOD, S-I-G-P-O-D. And what it is, it's how to create, uh, it's a template for five signature stories that you can do in five minutes. So every speaker has to have a signature story. Of course, there's more than five formats, but these five formats, it's the first question anyone asks you in a media interview is why do you do what you do? And why did you start your business? Why did you write your book? So this answers that question. And I give you those five because, um, because you you may fit into, like I have some in, in every category, and I have right. like lots of signature stories. You probably do too, that mm-hmm. your speakers can use for whatever audience they're talking about. Which signature story do you want to use that's going to connect with the audience? But this is yeah, a quick way um, to do that. So that's on um, PRsecrets.com forward slash SIGPOD.
1: Thank yeah. you for that. Uh, you know, I've also told people to watch out for happy accidents because when I first yeah. started doing keynote speeches, I was very—I uh, wasn't pedantic. I was always pretty good at it.
0: <laughs> I like that uh, you had to <laughs> say that. Wait, I wasn't pedantic. But...
1: Yeah, I—I I wasn't one of those, but I wasn't really reaching the audience, so I yeah. had to really take a good look at my skill set, and I realized the crowd work I'd done in stand-up comedy uh, was just—that was the most fun, and then second. It was was a happy accident. I would go into corporate spaces and talk to them about, you know, how the generations are impacting. But when I stepped back and did it uh, from the parenting angle, I had lines afterwards who wanted my book uh, signature. They wanted my, and it was a business book, but I explained how the generations had changed. And one guy stood in line. for 45 minutes just to ask me, I don't want your business coaching. And I was like, what? And he goes, no, I want you to teach me how to talk to my six-year-old. And that's when I realized I was onto something bigger than what was inside my little brain here. So I always recommend to people, and I'm sure you do, you find those happy, wonderful accidents uh, along the way.
0: Yeah, and that's what people, you know, we we sometimes think we know what's going to land, but 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 we don't always. And that's that yeah. was super, super feedback, and then you can follow that you can follow that lead or follow that if that's if that's something you're interested in, like the parenting angle. You yeah. know, you got feedback that that was what was resonating. So you, then you can go there. And we always look at that when you're doing media, like what's getting picked up, what are people yep. resonating with, even if it's not what you think it is, and because we can always back end that later, but. We want to go with front end. What do people? What are people clamoring for from you?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it and really, you know what that tied into? This was the deeper issue. Salespeople and executives didn't know how to communicate with these adults that were walking around, and they didn't realize they raised their own kids the exact same way. Oh, wow. And this was like that was the epiphany. Yeah. So created a workshop with it. So. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. We we are almost running out of time, and I wanted to ask you some lightning round questions. Okay. And, and my first one is: uh, Is there something about you that we should know that few people know about you?
0: I I think the one thing to know that that I think people have noticed about me is that um, I can see very clearly who you are, and. And then what other people have said is that even when I've stopped working with them, they I feel they feel like I'm always with them, supporting mm. them. And I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I am always in my and I do have a very kind of robust um, practice practices that I do every single day yeah. other than Aikido that I, I go through. So so I think all of those people are included, and they must and they feel that somehow.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well,
0: that season. wasn't lightning. I think I better answer quicker. <laughs> We're
1: going to do lightning. Okay, <laughs> no, a lightning.
0: I realized. Wait, that was a long answer. Okay, I'm going to be. No, sure. that was a,
1: that was a perfect answer, and I'm going to uh, explain it to you. You're an intuitive. You're empathic, and you're an intuitive. You can't read people unless you're coming from the heart, and you kind of see things. Um, So I recognize that in you. You know, you have it. Thank
0: you. You, you well, have thank that you, energy. Thank you for seeing me.
1: Yeah. Well, you said energy before, and that's when I went. Well, wait a minute. She sees the energy of the delivery on camera. And um, yeah, sometimes you ask that question and people don't know what you're talking about. Uh, my last question real quick is what's your favorite memory?
0: Oh, no. I saw my favorite <laughs> memory. <laughs> You know, one of my favorite memories, well I'm just going to say what what came into my head in instantly. I was living in Paris and I met my best girlfriend there and we were in a spiritual group and the leader walked in and he was literally glowing like the sun. And I turned to her and I said, "Is this my imagination or is he glowing?" And she said, no, he is, and I became so fascinated with that um, level of of beingness. I think wow. that because it was so, and 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 you could the whole room. I mean, the whole room just felt like a golden sun. So to me, um, that's what you want your media appearance to be: is to be like you, like Luciano Pavarotti said, have a voice that shines like the sun. Have a everything about you shine like the
1: sun. Yeah. Wow. What a way to end the show, Susan. Thank you so much for being on awaken nation. Um, yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This was totally fun and totally lovely.
1: Merci, madame. Yeah. 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 My ex-wife is from Haiti. So I, uh, I picked up more Creole than, uh, uh, French, yeah. but yeah, but uh, right. Albiento is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Albiento, and uh, everybody, tune in next week for another fantastic guest here on Awakened Nation. Thank you so much. Reach out to Susan's website, prsecrets.com. She has some freebies up there and some great videos. Thank you once again, Susan, for being on the show.
0: My pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.